Today, we welcome Antje Kamgiser, who rejoined Alpic about six months ago to become their CEO. Antje, a warm welcome to you. Delighted to see you today. Thank you so much for having me, Jean-François. So first, a few words about you personally. You were trained as a lawyer, then you worked about 10 years in private practice, part of them with an energy angle, and then you've spent the last 15 years in the energy world at Alpic, then at competitor BKW, where you were vice president group markets and services and a member of the executive board. At the big picture level, Alpic is a European energy company with a very strong Swiss base. You own and manage power plants, trade and sell energy, and provide energy-related services such as asset, portfolio, and risk management. Alpic has about 1,300 employees and revenues of about 4 billion Swiss francs. It is a privately held company, and your shareholders are a large Swiss investment fund and two consortiums of regional electricity companies. Result-wide, the company is returning to profits in 2021 after a few years of restructuring and losses. Yes, thank you so much, Jean-François. We are really a European company, but we have strong roots in Switzerland. It's all started with Swiss production, mainly from hydropower plants, flexible hydropower plants, and also a big share in Swiss nuclear power plant. And then we have also renewables in Switzerland. We have in Italy, in Spain, in France and in Hungary, gas-fired plants, but also a renewable portfolio from water, wind and PV. And then, of course, we have the risk and portfolio management in our um, companies because all this production, the electricity, you can't store. You produce about 20% of the Swiss electricity total production. This is right. Clearly, the electricity industry is not an easy one. And it seems that the price of hydropower is basically not set at a high enough level for the companies to earn a sufficient return. First of all, is that right? And if so, why is that? The prices are set on the exchanges and the wholesale markets. So even the biggest company is not price setting. And the prices of energy, they are driven by geopolitics today. So what is happening in our markets? Nobody is really driving the prices. There are a lot of factors coming together and the prices are not stable. They are volatile all the time. Maybe the cycles are five years, 10 years, and then they go down and high. But the assets we have in the Swiss Alps, they are highly capital intensive and they've been built for 80 years, even longer. And they are not physically put into question, but nobody would invest today in these assets. In Switzerland, there are some subsidy schemes put in place, but we also have to consider that the energy assets in Switzerland are not built for Switzerland. What has happened in the 50s was that Switzerland, Germany and France, they put themselves together and created the basis for the European network. And the French and the Germans, they put on nuclear power and they said, we have the base load. We can really produce the whole year stable stream. And they asked the Swiss to then deliver the flexible power, especially when everybody's going in the kitchen and cooking at lunchtime or in the evening. So you need more energy. And this is what the Swiss assets, the highly flexible storage and and pump storage plants can provide is that energy. And it was designed to play all together. So when we think about the situation today, there will be always phases maybe where the 
old traditional hydropower, because uh, it's planned for such a long time, would not be in the money. On the other side, the physical need is still there for quite some time. And now we have to be smart to keep Europe together and let these elements play together. And still there must be some more incentive on the price, but we can never really compensate for what the market is doing. This is, has been assets built in a monopolist uh, world, and now we're in a fully liberalized world, and this does not fit together anymore. So it's a challenge. It's a challenge for a company having an own portfolio. It's a challenge for the shareholders. There must be government incentives, but we also need not to uh, forget that we need the European power right. plate to play. Otherwise, it's from a welfare point of view and from a physical point of view, it's not that logic. But there's where politics comes into play. <laughs> Now, you mentioned nuclear power. There are three nuclear power plants left in Switzerland, producing about a third of the total electricity. For you at Alpic in 2020, it was close to actually 40% of your total production. So nuclear is very important for you. And of course, nuclear is a bit of a paradox because On one side, there's a lot of pushback from populations on account of the risk, of the environmental risk, if there is a problem. On the other hand, nuclear energy is very clean and has a low carbon footprint. So where does nuclear fit in your mind? I think for the moment we have these power plants and we have to exploit them for as long as we can secure safety and the financials behind. But the question for building new power plants is not the right question at that time because it will take 25 to 30 years to build these plants and then we're already in 2050. So the problem to resolve in terms of climate change is now. It's not in 30 years' time. And the second element is also the financial side. Given the risk related with the exploitation of a nuclear power plant, and also the huge sums you need to invest in. We have to now really build up more renewable energy and we need to have more storage. This will be a long term, so it's this transitional way of doing things. Even in Switzerland, we talk about building gas-fired plants because we will have problems to really deliver, especially in the winter, energy to all households, to all industries. So there is a transition. It will take place. We need to exploit these nuclear power plants for the time we can do that safely. But we need to invest more in renewables. We need to invest in storage capacity and hydrogen. And everything comes together. It's not a simple solution. It will be very complex. Yeah. You mentioned renewable. In Switzerland, when people are trying to put uh, those windmills, the population is also pushing back. So Do you really see a, a high potential for renewables in Switzerland, wind and solar? Yes, I think wind, you mentioned, is really the problem, if not in my backyard. And because Switzerland is so small, you're quickly in everybody's backyard. backyard. <laughs> But for PV, I think there we can do much more. Uh, and there's even quite innovative solutions now with cells on lakes, on storage, on dams. I think there we can do more. Uh, wind is limited in Switzerland, I believe that too. And therefore, I think it's so important that we keep the European network going and we will always have these exchanges necessary. Yeah. Now, you mentioned green hydrogen before. So, so you produce green hydrogen used in transportation where the goal is to have zero carbon mobility. You already operate a first power plant, the largest in Switzerland so far, with a capacity of two megawatt, but it will produce 300 tons of hydrogen, which enable you to power something like 50 fuel cell trucks. You also have a next project scheduled for 2022 
to come online at the end of the year, which is about four times larger. So tell us about the future of green hydrogen. Hydrogen is not designed to replace hydropower generation. Okay. There are a couple of different options to use it. So one you mentioned is really to decarbonize mobility and transport because you can then use that in small cells and in cars later on, but now in trucks and heavy trucks. And then it is used in industrial processes. So the highest consuming uh, industries like fertilizer, steel and everything, they need on the one side hydrogen. They can use it for peak shaving in their industries for the energy they need, but they also need the byproduct. So it's something which really fits very well in their industrial processes. Okay. Hydrogen is also a way to store a surplus of new renewable energy production. And then it comes also to gas. When you put we, um, um, new renewables to, to gas, to hydrogen, you can um, inject it in the gas grids and it can be stored there. And then when you think further, the modern gas-fired plants can be also run with hydrogen after certain measures. So it's not just the one use. I think it's really a development and it needs a certain maturity. But I really think hydrogen has enormous potential and we need to, to go on and uh, do research on these elements. If governments were able to increase carbon taxes, would that make hydrogen an even better solution? Yes, I think the more and more we introduce extrinsic elements, the extrinsic pollution factor via CO2, it will drive behavior. One of the areas that you've started to work on is this trading. And one of the things that I found in the annual report says one of our main priorities will be to develop and expand digital competencies and applications. Somehow this sounds pretty different from the historical core competencies of an electricity producer. So is there a transition going inside electricity companies, energy producing companies, and in particular Alpic? Yes. And this is also driven by the environment. The more volatile the markets are, the more you need to go to intraday, real-time data. And you can, of course, buy things from the shelf, but you have also to create a competitive advantage in certain places where you have better views on the market better information. And this is really the sweet spot of the business. But in the end, we will be an asset-backed trading company and not a data management company. It will always be an energy management company. But business and digital is so intertwined. Uh, now, what mandate did your board give you? The overarching mandate is really to inspire, energize the company and position Alpic in the sweet spot in the market. And of course, now we are reassessing uh, the strategy and uh, we really are operating in a very nice environment now because energy, due to the decarbonization, uh, which goes through electrification, energy is a growth market, especially the electricity market. And Alpic is a very small player now, European and globally speaking. So we will have to adopt a strategy where we can really play out our core cards, which is very much the asset, the portfolio and the risk management I mentioned before. And we need to do that 
in a very smart way because we can't compete on scale right. and we can't compete on cost, but we can compete on talent and culture. What we are really discussing, how can we be really attractive to the people who want to drive the company? We are small enough to have everybody taking real ownership and being really at the front and do the things he, he thinks he should be doing for this company. And what we also say is we want to work on the triple bottom line. So Profits, of course, but where we invest and how we invest does relate to sustainability. An energy company is surrounded by lots of stakeholders from the government, okay. regulators, politics, suppliers. So really take them on to the sustainable approach. And the last one, of course, is really be accountable on what we are doing. Involve the NGOs, involve partners, do the right things. Maybe it costs a little bit more in short term, but really being held accountable to what we do for the environment. A number of our clients, uh, corporate partners at IMD, face this situation where they have to go in labor markets that are very tech-related. Yeah. And they're saying, look, we don't have a massive employer brand in these areas. And so it's not easy for us to compete yeah. with companies that are really tech-based companies. Yeah. So you mentioned we need to be attractive to potential employees. How are you thinking about this? We can attract them, but we need to make sure that they have really the freedom to design and to develop. So we can't behave like a traditional utility okay. and wanting to have the best talent. So culture values needs to provide an environment where these talents can really thrive. Yeah. And does this mean that you will have to operate different subcultures within the company where you will still have some folks very much yeah. producing energy on a daily basis and another part of the company that is maybe a lot more volatile, hip and financially driven? In my opinion, this has always been the way we have been designed. You have the asset division, you have the trading division, you have maybe a commercial division and you have another division and then you have silo structures everywhere. And what I try to do now is really to take the company who's for good part still like that and really design the value chains and design processes and owners behind them and work together. This is the mindset that the younger people coming in the company have, and they want to know what's going on there, what's going on there, and how can I circulate even in the different departments. So we need to be much more uh, flexible in designing careers, flexible in designing the way we work together and cutting the divisions out. This is not what I think will help, especially at our size. I think if you have 100,000 employees, I fully understand, but with the size of 1,300 now, we can really try to do that differently. You're trying to introduce all this flexibility in a Swiss-based electricity company. How receptive is the organization to this idea that we need to become more flexible? It's a bit of a change, this is for sure, and uh, maybe uh, we will lose some because it's too different from what we've been in the past. But for the moment, I think the most important is to explain and to take a bit more time to prepare. And in the, in the end, it has been also signals I got from inside where really lung talent said, I can do much more, but I can't because I'm in my box. And this was always a little bit uh, old fashioned maybe, but I think uh, Switzerland and also the, the workforce in Switzerland is, is very dynamic. I think we are always in the competitiveness Absolutely. on top. And I think this is part of it, but you need to explain why you do these things. Let me turn to some personal questions and your own personal journey. Now, you've been hired and then you had your onboarding process at a time where face-to-face -face, uh, meetings were severely restricted. 
How did these restrictions on face-to-face -face meetings influence your experience during the recruitment phase and then during the in induction phase and the first six months on the job? Yeah. We used uh, Teams. I think a lot of different others use Zoom. But uh, what was the most important for me was to use all the facilities I have to meet all the people. And what we set up was a roadshow, virtual roadshow. So we had 33 Teams meetings for around an hour and I could touch thousand people and really make it interactive, having really discussions and some are more shy, others less shy. So this worked really well. And with the board, I did something different. I told them the most important part is creating trust. And for this, we need to see each other. So we booked the biggest room. We called it the war room for, I think, two and a half months. And then we met every week, a whole day together okay. with masks, of course, in the beginning. And then some were vaccinated, felt already more comfortable uh, airing. But feeling what is going on and understanding what is this company all about. For me, the biggest question after the restructuring, having only one-tenth of the people, was how do the people feel? Are they all devastating? Do they have the energy to go the next round? What is going on? And for this, you need to get into contact with the people. What did you do to really establish yourself and create a sense of an effective team? We had extremely valuable discussions. And in the end, we even decided to put up a charter, how we work as an executive board, because it was this part of really doing something important now with Alpic, who has a different size than before. And we wrote all the elements down. And uh, one colleague even said, oh, in every single time after the executive board meeting, we take this list and we check ourselves. Do we behave the way we wrote it down or is it just a one-off? And we do that. And it's amazing. And it's uh, very open, outspoken discussions. And uh, you feel when people are stressed, you, you hear it afterwards. And we got very straight and easily really to the point. High speed. Really nice. And I must say, I was really also supported in this these approach with what I've lived in IMD, the 360 feedback session. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the most valuable team uh, tool you can have when you do teamwork. So I was really inspired by that. So you guys not only worked on specific business decisions, but you've also been working, I'm hearing, to a fair amount on how are we going to work together. Yes. And we even thought the way we do that, now the others should do it the same way. So we really put it transparently. We went into 360 degrees meetings and we shared all what we have. And now it's the next round with the next people. And we really define for ourselves if we want to have that culture, it starts with us. And so we need to make ourselves vulnerable and show what we are doing, talk about that, also talk about when we feel not right. And I, I can just give a great compliment uh, to, to all the colleagues who joined in. You feel that energy. Now, you're a first-time CEO, and, and so these are your first six months on the job. Becoming a CEO, was that a long-term objective? Yeah, I grew up in an entrepreneurial environment in a way that I wanted to shape and create and take responsibility. So I'm a very driving person and I have been in close contact with CEOs and I really thought this is really interesting and doing an EMBA at, at IMD was part of a plan and I'm happy that it worked out. So it out. has worked yeah. out. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Are there one or two or three insights or things that have struck you uh, and that you would like to share with us? Yeah, I think for me, it was really a change to have a supervisory board 
and shareholders okay. to deal with this relationship. There are different expectations and so far I haven't been exposed to that. Then the second, of course, media interviews like that, you're not that exposed uh, before, so it's learning by doing. I always heard people, yeah, you will be in a tower somehow and you're very far away from where you are. For the moment, I do not feel it. Maybe it happens and I do not, I'm not even aware of that. But for the moment, I think it's, I have just a job like any other person in this company and we just try to do the best. Antje, one of the things that we're working on is how do we make the business world more diverse and more inclusive? And clearly, the Swiss government has passed a law that says that we need more gender diversity on boards. The situation is evolving, but it is evolving slowly. Now, of course, you are a great example of a female CEO. In uh, the company you worked at before BKW, there was also a female CEO, but in Switzerland and all over the world, this is still a relatively rare phenomenon. Mm -hmm. What do we need to do to accelerate mm -hmm. the diversity and inclusion movement so that the world becomes more fair, but also more effective? Yeah, I think from government or society, I think there must be really more these equal terms for men and women. When we talk about tax regimes, when we talk about pension fund system. And company-wise, I um, think it's very important to ask yourself, do you really want to have diversity? Very often you want to have somebody looking different, but you do not want to have that person being different. And this is really, I think, where we all need to reflect more. What do we really want to have? Quite easily somebody is annoying or complicated something because he's different or she's different. Uh, so this is something where society and business schools, we need to push more on what is behind of looking different. And I'm not only talking about gender, but also age and cool. culture and everything. You are one of the exceptions in this respect. All throughout your careers, you've been sitting on a number of boards. Mm -hmm. This is rare enough in Switzerland that the Federal Council had to pass uh, a law. So how did this happen and what did you get out of this? I think it is really linked to the expertise of now 20 years in the energy environment. So I've been always, I think, approached for the technical tasks and sometimes for the diversity task where I then did not follow up. I think for me, I get a lot of insight and I learn and you have always new team settings. So what I like when I'm in different settings is you always have a new constellation where you can ask yourself, why is this happening that way? And also the technical issue, sometimes you think it's the same, but it's not. It's always changing a little bit. So I've always accepted mandates with the technical part to learn something more, to get something more out of me and I can contribute with something what I have in my backpack. From a long time ago, you have been involved in environmental causes, from founding an environmental activist group as a teenager to your activities as a lawyer. Is there sometimes a, a, a tension between what I think we should do as a citizen and what we can do as a company that I happen to be the CEO of? <laughs> I think as a, as a private person, I can quicker come to results uh, and I can take ownership and just change my way uh, of behavior. In a company, I think the most important part is that you have that guidance. We had interesting discussions right in the beginning where people were asking me, what do you think when there were miners for bitcoins coming or hydrogen? To whom would you give the water rights if you want to? 
And this is thrilling because you said, yeah, usually would say who pays more, but then you reflect what's the whole story behind. And then you have really interesting discussions. So I think for me as a CEO, I have to have this dialogue with the shareholders, with the board, with the colleagues. What is the white path for us? I'm very much a realist. We can't now just turn everything on renewables and cut off all the other nasty things we do have. There will be compromises along the way. But we need to discuss and reflect well and take the best decisions. And this is most of the times the case when you reflect with a lot of people around these. Right. What would be another one or two professional goals for you next year? I think really professional would be to, to, to keep that energy level, the, the passion high and being inspired. This is very much depending also on my personal energy level, I would say. But really inspire the people that we take this cultural change. You know, this is not a sprint, it's a marathon. Okay. And uh, people maybe expect much earlier results and something which they can put their hand on and really keep that going and involve more and more people that it comes really a, a company-wide thing. And I'm quite used now to these cultural transformations, but I also know there will be dire times. There will be moments where you think nothing is going on anymore and really keep that going and not lose my energy. And for me, it's the best when I'm happy. So this is really my goal in life, to be happy and really find out quickly when I'm not happy, what's the reason and change that because otherwise I do not have that energy anymore. Antje, I thank you very much. You mentioned earlier that you are indeed a graduate of IMDZ MBA program. We're very proud of you and we wish you all the best professionally and also personally. Thanks for making the time to be with us. Thank you so much for having the time with you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. To hear more such interviews as soon as they come out, click subscribe or follow wherever you're listening to this. You can also find a range of forward-thinking analyses, business intelligence and insights in our new magazine and content ecosystem called I by IMD. You will be able to register by clicking in the link that appears in the show notes of this episode. Thank you for listening and until next time.